Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Welcome to episode 455 of Longbox Heroes. Joe and Todd joining you here. Todd, are you ready to talk some comic books today? I am always ready to talk some comic books. It's in my blood. All right. I had to get a transfusion for that. Oh. But it ended up just being ink instead of blood. See, most most of my blood's bacon, so there's a problem. There's something about drinking glasses of bacon, but that doesn't work. Uh, so at least it's not gravy. I hear that's unhealthy. That's right. It's been a while since I had a nice cup of gravy. <laughs> anyway. Right. A lot of our news is coming out of the September solicitations, which are trickling out. And uh, it's a lot of big stuff happening uh, at Marvel, at DC, all over the place. And possibly... The beginning of a new segment that's going to be added to the news segment of the show (laughs) called The Rob Watch. If this goes on for any extended period of time, we may have to commission a jingle (laughs) or some sort of something uh, to designate when we're going to get into hot The Rob Talk. (laughs) And I have to make sure that I'm not saying hot Rob Talk because that's not who we're talking about. We're not talking about Rob. We're talking about The Rob. Right. There is only one The Rob. That's right. Uh, We have the conventions going on this week. Uh, We have digital sales and new freebies, finally. The six-week national nightmare of only me is over. (laughs) That's right. I was worried right up until you told me. Right. Uh, We have what we read from this past week, which is Silver Surfer Black number one and Wonder Twins number five. Uh, What we're looking forward to coming out this week. any art attacks if they came up and we have discussions of the latest episodes of swamp thing the season premiere of krypton and one episode of good omens (laughs) that's right one right and we'll get to that when we get to that so september solicitations rolling out a lot of stuff new books and so forth let's start with dc uh, we talked last week that there was rumor and innuendo, if you will, that Brian Michael Bendis was going to be doing a Legion of Superheroes book. Well, we have the official confirmation with this September solicitations. There is going to be a two-issue miniseries entitled Legion of Superheroes Millennium, and then that's going to roll into an ongoing series for the Legion of Superheroes, written by Brian Michael Bendis, presumably with art by Ryan Sook. For a bit, probably. Right. Well, you know, you got a lead time on this. Right. You know, well, it might get be a more complicated book to draw than they thought. Oh, so boy. we'll see. There are a lot of characters in the Legion. There are. Is every book at DC going to be a nine-panel grid now? I think that's a rule now. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, I'm excited. I'll give this a try. Uh, I always give the Legion a whirl. I give Bendis' stuff that he's doing a whirl. Now, where does this fit in with the Superman stuff? Is he still going to be doing those two su- those two books? Is he just doing those first two issues of this and then maybe handing it off to somebody else because there's still that rumor and innuendo out there that he's going to be taking over Batman at some point? Well, he, we know he could do 72 books a month. Right. So he might. I mean, I, I look at it as we have some time until 
uh, Batman, you know, gets taken over at what December. That's when that, when Tom King will be off that book, but that'll only be around 85. So I, I do think there will be a palate cleanser between Tom King and, uh, uh, like they did kind of with uh, D- Detective, remember? They had kind of like a little before Tomasi took over. And then we'll get around right around like 90, 95-ish uh, after about like a year. Bendis will ride in and take his first storyline into the crescendo of issue 100. That's where it's going to happen. Right. So this mini series, two issues, is going to have uh, new versions of Supergirl, Batman Beyond, Commandy. Tommy Tomorrow, Booster Gold, and OMAC. A lot of Kirby stuff there. But, uh, yeah, I'm actually thinking this is why, uh, you know, uh, Connor, not Connor, uh, the the Superboy got aged up from, like, a a young kid to a 17-year-old so he could fit in with the the Legion of Superheroes now. Interesting. Right. I'm going to give it a try, too. I'm not a big Legion guy. Right. I've tried it every once in a while, and depending on the creative team, but I'll give it. I just hope it ties into the 80s event of Millennium with the Manhunters. Remember that one? Yes. Uh, Secret Invasion done right. Oh, boy. Yeah, so we'll see if that, that uh, you know, there's any uh, tie-in with that. I always forget that when you say that, that's because DiDio said Countdown to Infinite Crisis was 52 done right. Right, and also someone at Marvel said Sleepwalker was Sandman done right. I think that could have been Robert Kirkman at the time, mm-hmm. who was trying to be funny. I don't think it was. I think it was an editor. I'll look that up eventually someday. Right. Another book uh, debuting over at DC is Flash Forward which is, I guess, spinning out of whatever's going on with poor Wally West after the events of Heroes in Crisis. Yes, that he's in jail, I guess. Right, I put this in here for you, man. Yes, because uh, this was the thing with uh, Heroes in Crisis kind of messed up Wally for me. But I'm interested in that. uh, Remember Suicide Squad was canceled? And there was supposed to be a Brian Azzarello Suicide Squad coming out, like a uh, relaunch. Yeah. And maybe Wally was supposed to be in it. Right. Um, and then that whole thing happened with Batman Damned and Azzarello had the falling out with uh, DC. So, you know, he's not doing it. It's like Brett Booth and, and a bunch of other people. And I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm going to get it because it's a Wally book. But I was much more interested in if that other Rumor was true that Wally in the in the in the Suicide Squad, alongside like Captain Boomerang and maybe like a Captain Cold or something, because Captain Cold was floating around the Suicide Squad during the end of that run. I, I, that to me would be more interesting, written by Azrael than what they did coming out of Heroes in Crisis and and this book now. But that being said, I I definitely do have to give it a try. I do not. <laughs> That's so bad. That creative team isn't set in my world of flame. The the creative team that did Flash Speed Rate or Speed Buggy crossover for Hanna Barbera. Yeah, that one. That's the one. Okay. And I didn't like where they put Wally in during and after Heroes in Crisis, and what you just mentioned, of course, how there was supposed to be a Suicide Squad book, and isn't there also either solicited September or August a Harley Quinn Poison Ivy book? Yes, there is. 
Right, so it seems as though they had all these ideas that were going to go into a Suicide Squad book with a big creative team again. Brian Azzarello, a big-name creator. And when that fell apart, they had all these pieces and ideas that they're just kind of shunting off into all these little separate miniseries as it is. Mm-hmm. And we're so far away from whatever Heroes in Crisis was supposed to be in Tom King's head to becoming an event book, to becoming a new Suicide Squad book, to becoming what it is now, possibly. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a blue blue and gold book somewhere down the line because of it, too. But Right. And with the right creative team on there, I'll give that a whirl. Speaking of blue and gold and speaking of right creative teams, we do have uh, a date, September, that same solicitation date, just throwing it in here. The Inferior 5 book is finally coming out from Jeff Lemire and Salty Keith, a.k.a. Keith Giffen. Right, which is just going to be a mini, I guess. It's, I it thought, says it's a 12-issue mini. Right, which is still a long mini, but I thought it yes. was an ongoing. But uh, I'll take I'll take 12 issues, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there on Wednesday when that book comes out, and I'm going to buy it. A book Jeff Lemire talked about the last time we had a guest on the show, March of 2018. <laughs> well, the wheels turn slowly at DC, Joe. <laughs> They had to wait for Doomsday Clock to end oh, in right. November. Because Doomsday Clock's going to be done in September, huh? Uh, no, they're, it's going to... Uh, the issue one of uh, Inferior 5 is going to lead directly into issue 12 of Doomsday Clock in November. I gotcha. Right. I think that might not be true. Which part? I... All right, maybe Inferior 5 isn't going into Doomsday Clock, but Doomsday Clock 12 coming out in November, 100% true. I was going to say, Inferior 5 coming out, Inferior 5 number 1 coming out in September is the true statement. That is the true statement. That is the only true statement in all of that. Mm. More DC news. Uh, We had discussed before the, was it the Wonder imprint of comics, the Wonder line, which is spearheaded by Young Justice and then has the assorted miniseries is, is that we may or may not have known at the time where miniseries is the dial H for hero wonder twins and Naomi. Right now. I think Naomi once issue two came out, we knew it was going to ma- be a miniseries and issue six is already late. So again, <laughs> let's not hold that against it. That being or issue five is late. Rather. I apologize. Uh, that being said, with the September solicitations, we do see that both Dial H for Hero and Wonder Twins are getting another six-issue extension. Right, and like I said, I like you said, I didn't know they were minis, but if they were, then I'm happy we're getting six more of at least Wonder Twins. I don't get uh, Dial H for Hero, but you do. Right. Um, Sam Humphreys, the writer on Dial H, was a little bit more uh, saying that it's going from a six to a twelve. Uh, which is something that's so improbable these days uh, that happens, and a publisher that stubbornly and charmingly refuses to give up on some of their quirkier concepts. We're glad to be one of them, uh, so on and so forth. And then he just says that, you know, kind of thanks everyone, the imprint, Bendis, and so on and so forth. Uh, Mark Russell, not the political pundit singer, <laughs> uh, is just essentially saying that the next six issues are more or less going to be treated as a separate miniseries, even though it's continuing the same numbering, uh, saying that's going to be part superhero deconstruction, part after 
after school special. But I'm glad that they're continuing. I'm glad that they're keeping the momentum, and I'm glad they're keeping the numbering. I'm sure if you're going to do it instead of starting again at number one the day after the month after six comes out. The way I look at it, it's you know they're just giving the story six more issues and the same ending. So I'm I'm, I'm glad. I'm happy about it. There was a time where both of the major publishers would have done that. Where they would have with... relaunched it like a month later. They're like, oh, we'll give it a month break and we'll give it a new number one and that'll help bolster sales. Yeah, like, remember when all new Hawkeye lasted like five issues and they, they started over with their new number one? Yep. Stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff that just ma- maddens me. I don't mind a, a number one, but wait like 12 issues before you do it again. Mm-hmm. It, it maddens me as well, but in one hand, I understand their logic behind it. Mm-hmm. But time has tested this that the logic doesn't work. Every time that they do it, it's diminishing returns. Then why do they keep doing it? Well, this might be the beginning of them not doing it. I'll I'll take you know, I don't think that's gonna happen. I think Marvel with all that stuff doing new number ones, it works somehow. Like like we always said, it works and it puts comics in the comic shops but not necessarily in the hands of the fans and marvel doesn't care about getting comics in i think dc too doesn't care about getting comics in the hands of the fans they just care about getting them in the hands of the retailers then after that well that's all it's you figure it out problem what after that it's the retailers problem right that's right we sell comics to retailers question mark money for retailers of uh, relaunching things with a new number one, out of the Marvel solicitations, which you don't have the full run of, the end is nearing closer, Todd. It is. As we were told that Thor number 16, uh, just two months ago, was going to be the beginning of Jason Aaron's end on Thor. Well, in this September, those last four issues are going to be rebranded as King Thor. Written by Jason Aaron with art by Asad Ribic, which is more or less going to close up everything that Jason Aaron has done on Thor since the very beginning in what, 2011 or something? I don't know. I know it's like, I remember at one point finding out it was seven years uh, he was on Thor blew my mind. So we're probably closing in on, like you said, like eight, nine, something like that. Something like that. But it's going to lead into whomever the new uh, creative team on the book is going to be as well. Sure, you got to wipe that slate clean. You can't for, you can't put that uh, future uh, frozen in concrete. It's going to have to – some wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff is going to happen. But um, I'm looking forward to it because anytime uh, Old Man Thor is involved – uh, Jason Aaron and Asad Ribic, I will read that wholeheartedly, and I'm still trying to push to get my piece by Asad Ribic as a cover. So if you're listening, Marvel, Asad Ribic, or Jason Aaron, contact me. We can talk. <laughs> so it looks as though Jason Aaron's run on the book started in late 2012, like it has a cover date of 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what the actual published date is, another story. It looks like the published date could have been November 2012. 
So it'll wrap up right around the seven-year mark. Seven-year mark, which, you know, with uh, publication dates, it probably started a few months earlier Mm -hmm. because that's all weird with that stuff. Because of room on, you know, newsstands back in the day, which always blew my mind. And the the reason I say this is this is the this will be the end of seven years, and in that seven years there were seven new number ones. One a year that seems like a good idea. Well, some of them were shorter shipping things. Some those. of them was the Battle Worlds thing where it was called Thor's plural yep. for four months, right? And then that relaunched as Thor, and then that relaunched as Thor with a new number one. There was a Mighty Thor in there, yeah. Thor God of Thunder was the original title. Which that lasted 24 issues. So that was the granddaddy of them all. Yes. But I think it was 24 issues over like a year and a half because there was a lot of double shipping in there. Right. Because we're old men. We remember one comic a month and that's all changed now. Well, I remember when God of Thunder was coming out, they had like a little stumble where there was an issue or two that were late. And I think it was an art issue because after that, it felt as though we had like four issues come out in a seven week span. Yeah. Sometimes that happens with Immortal Hulk in my brain, you know? (laughs) Right. There's like a, there's like a log jam of like one issue. And then once that one issue comes out, the other ones are just like pouring out behind it. Right. As soon as I'm doing my what we read last week, what we're looking forward to this week, and I'm getting my my list ready, which is always perfect for the next week for my pull list. I, I get confused. I'm like, didn't Immortal Hulk come out yesterday? And there's a new one tomorrow somehow. So yeah. I don't know if I had spreadsheets and triplicate that might help things. Now, now is the time where we do the maybe new ongoing segment of the news. Mm-hmm. which is the Rob watch Wow, where we last left the Rob Todd <laughs> right <laughs> was he had quit Twitter. Oh, hanging good. it up here on Twitter. I'll be exclusively at Instagram. Right. Never to be seen on Twitter again. Never to be seen on Twitter again. That was that tweet that I just read to you. Todd was at 1030 in the morning on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. How soon was Rob back on Twitter? 14 hours later. <laughs> 12 and a half. Oh, I was, oh, I should have bet the over. He replied to someone with an as if. Mm-hmm. And then he tweeted out 12 hours later, got all of your very kind messages, haven't deleted as of yet. I know he and tweeted. He was back on Twitter full force. Right. I know he tweeted somebody we know. Well, see, now that's the thing. That was when I had to steal your Detective Comics detective hat because mm-hmm. I thought our friend Becky was the one who antagonized poor Rob <laughs> out of hiding. God, I know he had already been active on Twitter for two days. <laughs> you sleuth, you. Now, granted, a lot of it was just retweeting stuff. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, here's these, uh, you know, here's the books that were on sale today in 1986, and here's the books that were on sale today in 1987, and uh, here's, you know, whatever going back to another printing, Major X, or here's the person who bought all the covers of Major X and a picture of them, right? It was very little interaction on that first day back on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so, uh, shortly after that 11.30 in the morning tweet, at noon, he just says, back briefly to inform you that Major, Major X4 has sold out. Okay. Then, right. he was back full force. He was back full X-Force, Joe. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I wanted to give credit to Becky of shaking him out of his uh, Twitter hiatus, but it was actually the Toronto Raptors winning the NBA championship. <laughs> Two equally important pe- people and things. So. Right. So Rob had a good t- 11 and a half hour run of deleting his Twitter. Right. Well, you know, he's probably gone for good now. Right. And that's that was not, a- you know, that's just the tip of the 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 rob iceberg because during his 11 and a half hour twitter hiatus mm-hmm. he did take to his instagram where he told us God. again arguing with people that deathstroke the terminator and deadpool are not the same character they're not they're not one's at marvel one's at dc completely different you know storylines well you know he could have he could have created Deathstroke or Deathstroke. He could have created Deadpool with a janitor. It would have been just as good. Okay. Now he has the first appearance of Deadpool pictured, right? Mm-hmm. And then he has just like a random issue of Deathstroke. Right. And I have to read this. Are you seeing double? Me neither. Deadpool, 1991. Deathstroke, as depicted in 1991. I never shy away from this, and in fact, did a YouTube video about it. One is a smart-ass mercenary who moves like a ninja. The other is a 50-year-old grizzled soldier of fortune. Deathstroke has a hundred pounds on little pool boy, as he was depicted here. Look at that trunk, those arms, those thighs. At the time, he supposedly inspired Deadpool because the blue chainmail and buccaneer boots are such a giveaway. Come on, orange? Yeah, never seen it, never have seen it. The winner (laughs) and still champion, Deadpool. Jeez. (laughs) Hashtag Marvel rules, hashtag I love you all. <laughs> oh, I just wish he would hashtag everything the Rob from here on out. Okay, he has to understand that while they are not exactly the same, again, because of course, <laughs> this sounds like a my comics obsession uh, posting here, where he's like, "Look at that trunk, those arms, those thighs." <laughs> <laughs> when talking about Deathstroke, but you know that's the way Deathstroke was depicted there. Prior to that, he was depicted a little bit more slender, and yes, he is an older gentleman, but they both have, like, dead and death in their name. One's name is Slade Wilson, the other one's is Wade Wilson. Well, that was, he just drew him. The writer made that. Oh, so it's Fabian Nascenza's fault? Yes, it is. Oh, so it's his fault that Deadpool is a ripoff of Deathstroke. Right, and wasn't Deadpool right out of the gate in X-Force and New Mutants, like, not the jokey thing that he would become later? No. He would, like, make a snippy remark here or there. Right, and I know he had those curse, like, emojis in his word balloons. That's about it. So That wasn't even until later then in the Joe Kelly run in, like, 1996-ish? No. Nope, that was early on in the X-Force run. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I found I'll have to find it again and take a picture of it. So showing you that that he Wade cursed all the way back then. 
But anyway. Now, Rob wasn't done this past week. There's Wait, wait. There's more The Rob news? Right. <sighs> so he decided now he took to Facebook, because he had quit Twitter for 11 and a half hours. <laughs> right. And says, so a few weeks back, I get a call and some text from Jim Lee. Long story short. He asks if I'd be interested in bringing some of my extreme characters over <laughs> to DC for a special that would come as soon as the end of the year, where the image characters team up with a bunch of in a bunch of short stories with the DC comic characters. Leefield revealed. I said I'd consider, and that's it. Nothing else. I assume as of this week, you know, when he d- decided to run DC through the mud, <laughs> I was that this offer was still in play. Oh my goodness. And he says, uh, I don't speak my mind nearly enough. I need to let that hang there for a second. We all talk more openly, but everyone fears ramifications now. I just like a DC Comics that reflects the one I grew up with, the one that produced Camelot 3000, (laughs) Watchmen, Dark Knight, New Titans. And I'm not intimidated. I'll express it. That's just my opinion. I express it because I don't care the fallout. I don't care if there's an image DC special and I'm left out of it as a result. Like, seriously, get out of here with that. <laughs> he, well, one, I do believe he generally doesn't care because he sleeps on a giant pile of money anyway. So. Mm. But yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know if he's, I think he thinks he's Deadpool now. Like you know what I mean? Like the like the it, it, like the the character was me. Look how wacky and zany I am. Or or there's something wrong with him. I don't know. One or the other. Right. And he claims that they also offered him to do Hawk and Dove. He goes, they always bring that up, and I always decline. And they wanted him to do as part of the Hanna Barbera stuff a Thunder the Barbarian comic. Well, not <laughs> him, but I would like to see a Thunder the Barbarian comic. And again, while you may say, not him, I'd buy a Thunder of the Barbarian comic book, even if the Rob was involved. Uh, if he was writing and he just channeled the Rob into Thunder. <laughs> I wonder, Todd, mm-hmm. what the legal ramifications would be if someone took some of Rob's better social media postings. Mm hmm. And just put them in as dialogue for a character in a comic book. Oh, Thundrob the Barbarian. Thundrob. The Thundrob. <laughs> the Thundrob the Barbarian. Oh, I, I could only imagine. I could only imagine. I, I, would, I would read that book. Right. And, and again, bear in mind, this is only as of up to this past Friday. Mm-hmm. Rob has been quiet these last few days. Right. But by saying that aloud, I may have awoken something in the cosmos to write this statement. I don't know. He'll probably be quiet again until the Toronto Beckys rile him up again. (laughs) Oh, boy. So conventions this weekend, sadly, the Rob is not at any of them. But that doesn't make up for a lack of intriguing lineups. The Smallville Comic-Con in Smallville, Indiana, has assorted and sundry Superman TV and movie folks. Mm. Sadly, it's kind of the bottom of the barrel outside of Brandon Brandon Routh. 
who he is was... now more so known as his uh, portrayal of Ray Palmer. I don't know. He'll always be Superman Christopher Lee- Reeve light to me. Mm-hmm. I tell you, we've mentioned it before on the show, that one scene in Superman Returns at the baseball stadium where he catches the big spaceship. The plane, yeah. The, pla- the plane or whatever it is. One of the better moments in Superman's cinematic history. Possibly the best moment in Superman's cinematic history. It's way up there. In, that's a bad superhero movie, but that scene is way up there as like one of the best comic book m- movie moments. Yep. On my list, maybe maybe it might get trudged out a little bit by um, Cap slash to, like Hammer and Shield, right. but otherwise, that that to me every time I, I watch that scene with Brandon, I get legitimate goosebumps, and I'll I'll stop whenever it's on TV. I'll be like, yeah, I got five minutes to watch this scene. It's so. definitely the best Superman movie cinematic scene. Mm-hmm. It's at least top three DC. And maybe top five all comic book movie. I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, we'd have to sit down and work it out on paper, but every right. time we do that, you make fun of my choices. So. Mm, well, you have bad choices. Well, I think I've... while our overall picks, but I think a lot of the stuff we might be able to agree on is a good scene. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you know, the, the one that you'd mentioned about the uh, tail end of Endgame, I think that maybe is like number one with the bullet. Right. Ain't nothing touching that. You know what's a real weird one that I that is, and it's only like three seconds. Is did you ever see the Rocketeer? Yeah, where's the scene where like it's the end and he has to go chase the the the, the dirigible, and he does the whole scene where he picks up the gun, the Luger, and he cocks it and he turns with the flag behind him, which is that classic like Dave Stevens pose. Yep, I mark out. Every time I see, I got goosebumps right now. I love, it's only literally like, like a four second scene, but that to me was like, when it came to the Rocketeer, that was the only thing that I would think about before that movie. And they worked it in seamlessly. So that's like in the top 10, like moments for me. Absolutely. Rocketeer, an unsung movie from the 80 or from Mm -hmm. the nineties rather. Yes. Doesn't get the credit it deserves. No, it doesn't. So other conventions this weekend. The Eternal Comic-Con in Long Island, New York. Uh, James O'Barr, Frank Thierry, uh, Larry Stroman are going to be there on the comic professional side. Uh, from the world of sports and entertainment, Todd, Devon Dudley, who two weeks in a row he's making the convention circuit. Something's up. Oh, uh, I wonder I wonder if when they you know set him up, he gets a table. I, I wonder if he, well, actually, he is typically the one who gets the table. He's told to get a table oh, by well, he, his uh, brother, Bubba Ray Dudley. <laughs> Real piece of work, that character. Mm, Finn Balor is going to be there. Uh, Jimmy Hart is going to be there. And Jake the Snake Roberts is going to be there. Ooh, I want to play some poker with him. <laughs> Bring a coffee can. <laughs> He'll hide it for you. And <laughs> also, on the media guest side, Anson Williams is going to be there. Oh, po- the the guy who invented the scheme, Potsy. The scheme? Potsy schemes. Explain that. Instead of a Ponzi scheme, it's a oh. Potsy scheme. That's that's one of them that my father actually to this day says like it's a you know that that Bernie Madoff, he did a Potsy scheme. <laughs> but my father also says um remember that time he got hit in the head and that guy turned got uh c- Cosmatos? 
And then we all laughed at him. We're like, no, it's not Cosmatose. He's like, I know what I'm talking about. Don't make fun of me. It's Comatode. Like, oh, I love when my father does that kind of stuff. He's doubly wrong. Yes. And then also rounding out the conventions, the SupernovaCon in Sydney, Australia. Uh, Stephen Amell is going to be there. Hmm. Uh, and on the comic creator side, Humberto Ramos, Simon Bisley, Donnie Cates, Nicholas Scott, and Tom Taylor. Where is this at? That is in Sydney, Australia. Oh, that makes it sense because that's where Nicola Scott's from. I was shocked to hear Nicola was at a convention. Mm-mm. So the links to those will be in the show notes, as well as links to the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, where anytime any of the shows in our little conglomeration of like-minded individuals puts their shows out, and they uh, remind me, typically I'm pretty good, it's when they go on other shows that they need to remind me, because that sometimes slips through the cracks, uh, whether it be this show, whether it be Longbox Heroes After Dark, which has an addendum to last week's... Uh, barn burner of an episode talking about my podcast pet peeves Mm -hmm. started out a week ago with three additional and ended up with nine additional (sighs) can't wait for next week's well hopefully i don't listen to any podcasts between now and then Mm. no i'm gonna listen to dozens of podcasts (laughs) uh so we have that we have uh podvocacy just came out uh on tuesday wrestling on the edge of forever will be out later this week Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, of course, and uh, also At Oz with Wrestling. I don't know what we're talking about this week. I got some ideas. I have to ask I have to ask Adam about where his whereabouts were this past uh, Saturday if he was anywhere in, south of the border. Mm, I don't know. He there might have. A, there was a groping slash attempted abduction that I may need oh. to uh, point, at his, point him uh, in the direction of. Gotcha. Anywho, the links to all of those, of course, and all of these will be in the show notes over for this episode at longboxheroes.com, soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Digital sales and freebies as we have them. The Dark Phoenix saga is still going on. A sale on those. Get them while they're hot. Marvel has two more sales going on. A Marvel Critics Choice sale. And I know the last time that they did this, uh, there were some suspect choices of who the critics would pick. Uh, There's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad in there. I'll just say that. Buyer beware. Um, I'd like to see which critics they're talking about here. Anywho, one other sale that I can firmly get behind is the buy one, get one free sale that Marvel is doing. And in that is you put a little coupon code in. And you buy one of something, you get the other of the other thing for free. So, and this is books as recent as what came out last week. So, if you want to buy Major X 1 and 2, <laughs> you can get one for cover price and the other one for free. Do they have his first, do they have Major X's first appearance in that Deadpool thing? Oh, I bet you they do. <laughs> okay. And again, of course, you know, it's one of those deals where it's like equal or lesser value. But hey, if you wanted to buy the first two trades of Immortal Hulk, which normally digitally retail for $9 each, you put that coupon code in, you get the two trades for 9 bucks. Mm. That's practically like Immortal Hulk is on sale. <laughs> but everything else is on sale. And, and, you know, obviously things are conjunction 
with the sale there, with the coupon code and so forth. Uh, DC is having a sale on Superman stuff. And wouldn't you know, somehow they were able to work into a Superman sale, Dark Knight Returns. But that's because the tie-in of Superman Year One is coming out tomorrow. That's, that's right. But not Batman Year One. That is not in here. That doesn't tie into any of that. So No. There is a lot better Superman stuff that you could certainly check out as part of the sale that's not the Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, just glancing at it quickly... Uh, you could check out that Adventures of the Super Sons that Todd likes so much. That book is so good. Yes, indeed. You could pick up the uh, Mark Wade Birthright as part of this sale. One of the uh, rare things by Wade I've never read. Oh, really? Yes. It's good. There's a lot of stuff that they took for Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. But they got it all wrong. I know you're surprised by that. <laughs> what? There, there, there wasn't a lot of neck snapping in Birthright. Surprisingly, very little neck snapping in a Mark Wade comic. Mm. Almost as much meat as in these gym mats. Now I'm looking at this, <laughs> and I don't see it immediately popping out at me. Uh, the Emperor Joker storyline, which is uh, an unsung. Oh, there it is right here. Emperor Joker, six bucks. Uh, real fun story. It is two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven issues for six bucks. It's really good. Superman wakes up and the Joker rules the world. All of his Superman allies are in the thrall of the Joker. It's real good. Check it out. I recommend it. How did the Joker do this? There's a mystery. If you think about it, you'll figure it out. I can't recommend it. Another Superman story I've never read. Oh, man. I'm deficient in some areas, Joe. That's okay. Uh, so the new digital freebies are here. The new digital freebies are here, as I mentioned at the top of the show. It went six weeks without updating the list, and they did update it with some doozies. I'll tell you that much, Todd. Mm-hmm. They put in here the more recent, written by Sam Humphreys, Cable and the X-Force, which is a really fun comic. The original, back from the 80s, The New Mutants, number one. Uh, written by Chris Claremont uh, before they start having the Bill Sienkiewicz covers. Uh, X-Factor, number one. Uh, the launch of the Peter David run as X-Force Investigations. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. And Cyclops, number one. That one that was written from a couple years back by Greg Rucka. That first five-issue run is one of the best I've ever read. Exactly. A great Cyclops story, which doesn't happen very often, but hey, that's what happens when you get Greg Rucka to write a comic book. Usually he writes good ones, and I think it was the first six issues. I want to say it was the first five for some weird reason. You might be right. You're correct. Yes, it was the first five. Boom, look at that. Wasn't sure if it was five or six. You know, usually everything's stretched out to six issues. I know. I, that's why I always kind of remember it mm-hmm. because I felt like Rucka maybe was writing five issue stories with like a down issue. Like he had plans for a down issue, but then he ended up leaving the book. So I don't know. All right. So the links to all of those will be over in the show notes here as well. Let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Yes. I'm going to throw it to uh, you. To start with uh, whatever you want. 
I'm going to start with Silver Surfer Black, written by Donnie Cates and Trad Moore, the first issue, actually. And uh, basically, the book starts out with Surfer reminiscing about his time as uh, Galactus's Herald and how many actual, you know, people he, because of him, are dead in the universe as he, you know, was taking uh, Galactus to planet to planet. That was kind of like years ago, flashback. Now we cut to present day and he's falling into a black hole, which was the issue of Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm not sure. Was it issue one that that, that happened, Joe? Do you remember? Or? Say that again. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, where they they tumbled into the black hole. Oh yes, yes, yes. I Ben Guardians. I thought you were talking about the the Thanos thing. Yes, there's a ton of like footnotes in this to Guardians of the Galaxy number one. Right, they so they footnote it like three times in this. Right, I couldn't find it. Sorry about that. Um, but uh, he had they, he's falling in with a bunch of other uh, cosmic heroes, and he ends up deciding, well, you know, it's up to me. He ends up kind of saving them, like using Beta Ray Bill, and uh, actually, it's in Guardians of the Galaxy Annual. We find out where after he saved these people, what they did, but he's left behind in the in the darkness and he's you know broken and he feels like he's in there forever and he ends up seeing on the like off in the distance a, a shining light so he decides to travel to it and he's not sure how long it takes he says it feels like it takes forever but we're not sure how time and space work in this place and he crashes on this planet finds this giant like citadel and these giant creatures guarding it and he's there like I I'm you know I'm weak I'm here you know I mean no harm they end up just going at it with them. Surfer, you know, dips down, even though he's like, you know, weak from his travels and everything that's happened to him. He ends up, you know, uh, dispatching these people by creating this little sun using cosmic energy, but his hand is turned black because of it. And he's not sure why. So he's like, well, I've, I've, you know, stopped everything. I've beaten these people. I'm going to see what's inside the Citadel and inside the Citadel, he ends up, meeting someone and i don't want to say who that person is but it was actually it wasn't spoiled for me so it was kind of a shock um if you've read other donny kate's books you're going to know who it is and it seems to me now that this book is going to pool uh a lot of what donny kate's has been doing together um this might be a bridge for, for certain other books um and i was actually I'm not a big surfer fan, like the way he talks and the way he thinks. He's very like, you know, uh, d- despair filled me. He kind of his dialogue is weird to me. And I'm like, oh, I'm not a big surfer fan, but he's cosmic. So I'll read it. And then when they drop the ending of how it ties into Donny Cates, other stuff, I'm kind of like, you know what? You have me. You have me in full now, and I want to see what the the black hand that uh, Surfer has is all about and how that ties into it. Um, I really enjoyed it. The one thing I was kind of iffy on is I'm not a big uh, Trad Moore fan on this, unless it's because he's inside the black hole that it's the wonky look to the Surfer at times. But like when he gets to the planet, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know if that's still the case, but otherwise overall, I, I really like the book. Right. So I've seen trad more stuff on other things, mm-hmm. but I think he went a little too trippy with this. You know, there's those 60 stories of the silver surfer where I think they go a little bit more psychedelic with things with the feel mm-hmm. and right. whatever it is that they're trying to. And it, 
just occurred to me. You know what I think he's trying to copy, Joe? Do you remember that, like, Galactus Silver Surfer Muabius story? Right, that's that's the one. I couldn't put my finger on the story in particular, but yes, that's exactly the one. That's what I think he's trying to emulate. Uh, and for the story. I get what he's going for, and it works, but it's not my favorite type of art. I agree. And yes, this is how everything is going to tie other Donny Kate stuff together. I may have teased it a little bit last week only because Donny Cates was very public and open about it, but I'm not going to be public and open about it just because what we get in the last page goes back almost a year in some stuff that Donny Cates has been writing. Right. But I liked it for the most part. Again, I didn't love the art uh, just because the style didn't speak to me. I agree. That's the best way to put it. Didn't speak to me. Yeah. Spoke to someone, not me. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just don't understand the language. That's maybe mm-hmm. the problem. There you go. So, uh, Wonder Twins, number five. We talked about a little bit at the, the front of the show that it's getting an extra six issues beyond this. Written by Mark Russell with art by Stephen Byrne. This is the continuation of the Wonder Twins battle uh, with the League of Annoyance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the low-rent villains that are kind of attempting to get into the Legion of Doom, but failing so, uh, failing to do so. But the real story, uh, at least the way I read this, is uh, is about Jan's friend and her father and his pact and his dealings with Lex Luthor. Right. And what gets set up in this of who the final villain in all of this is going to be is something maybe I should have seen coming, but I certainly did not see coming. Right. Um, do you mean cell phone Sylvia? No. I'm just kidding. But, no, I know what you mean. Like, I was actually, I, I read this issue, and the things that go on with uh, Milo, I think his name is, is the main, the father of uh, Jaina's friend, and how, like, he's part of it and wrapped up in the League of Annoyance, and he ends up, getting taken out by cell phone Sylvia through her technology and how it's like an analogy for some of the things that's been happening in the news with, you know, cops and, you know, uh, black people and whatever. I was really like the side turn that this took, like with the message kind of a thing. And I'm not saying it's, it's good, bad, whatever. I was just like, what Mark Russell is doing with this kind of, kind of caught me off guard. Yes. Um, really caught me off guard and like to have like that deep message along with um instead of fox news it was lex news Mm -hmm. and with gags of every person who worked for lex news had to be bald was like a gag and i'm like wow like this is this is surreal as i'm reading it but still done really well. And then on top of it, like the scrambler has a plan to do something that um, Philo didn't want to do, but his daughter's maybe going to help him out with it. And then maybe we find out what the phone actually does. I'm like, this is, I don't know how to describe wonder twins anymore. Other than I really enjoy reading it. Okay. I remember when the first issue came out, there were people who said that they did not like it because they felt that it was below Mark Russell. Mm-hmm. That Mark Russell typically writes a more heady thing, uh, things with a more political bent, things with more of a message, whereas Wonder Twins was just a goofy concept for fun. 
Right. Well, now here we are at issue five, right on the cusp of what would have been the finale of the series, and all that stuff that everybody was looking for is here. Mm-hmm. So if you had faith in Mark Russell that he was going to bring it all around to what you wanted for those heady issues, for those messages or whatever it is that you wanted out of a Mark Russell comic, you just had to hang in there. He was setting the stage. He was setting the table. Now it's time to eat. So I was just saying, it took a little while to cook the dinner, but now we get to eat it. Right. Whatever analogy you want to talk about food and comic books, just don't eat the book. Go read the book. That's right. Don't eat SpaghettiOs over the book while you're reading it. <laughs> Uh, but again, I really liked the the book quite a bit, and I'm glad it's continuing. And uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to see how things are going to, because I'm sure when he, he probably knew that it was getting six more issues before we, the general populace, did. Right. So I, he kind of knew he had six more issues of a story he wanted to write, kind of a right. deal too, but go ahead. So what I was going to say was, I wonder if him knowing at some point, as we've discussed in the past, how a lot of times people will know when issue one comes out, how many issues beyond six that they're getting, or if they're even going to get their six, right? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if he had an initial ending in mind, and now that he knows he's getting six more issues, he had to tweak that ending slightly. I know you had jerked. Our jerk joked at the beginning of the show when we talked about this and Dial H for Hero getting an extra six issues that it's going to be getting a different ending in six more issues as opposed to a different ending in one more issue. No, it was going to get six more issues and the same ending. Oh, six more issues and the same ending. My apologies. Right. So I wonder if this is just him moving that finish line back six issues. Are we going to get the same ending and then just a new cliffhanger? I, I wonder how that last issue is going to read. I honestly think once we read that issue, we might have a better idea because if it seems like it's a finite ending, like, and that he got the go ahead while this issue was being written or drawn, maybe after it was written and being drawn, it's like, we don't have time to change it. So it'll look like it's, you know, everything wraps up and the story's good. And then we get a fresh start in wonder twin seven, like a clean, like story beginning. Then you're like, he didn't know. But if it go, if it carries over, then definitely he got, he had time. You know what I mean? I, I, basically, I look when I have hindsight. That's twenty twenty. I'll give you the definite answer, Joe. All I ask for is is when that issue six comes out on the final page, it says not the end. Oh, Whew. a great fun comic book trope I miss. Me too. So that's what we've read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, where they get your books in print, where they get them digitally, you get them shipped to your home, however it is that you get your books. Be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Maybe you need an extra uh, long box to bring those books home and not in the rain. If you don't, if you don't live in Pennsylvania, you may not know what rain is. If you live in Pennsylvania, all you know is rain. What? So much rain. Now, I know uh, we've discussed this before, and maybe after darks, and definitely in passing on here. Um, While I hate everything, there's nothing I hate more than memes. Oh. But every once in a while, I'll see a meme that tickles my fancy. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, somebody took a scene from The Crow, you know, where he says, meets a little girl, (laughs) and he says the Eric Draven song lyric to her. That right. says it can't rain all the time. 
Mm-hmm. And they have, can't rain all the time, except in Pennsylvania. Right. Oh, Kabuki Sting. Right. You're so wise. He was the origin. He was the inspiration for the Kabuki Sting. I believe it. Four years after the Kabuki Sting was a th- or be- four years after the crow was a thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am dragging behind with uh, Todd with his three correct guesses over me. I'm looking at his much slender list this week, almost like a slender read, if you will. (laughs) Yes. Shout out to Hudson Hawk again this week. Another Mm -hmm. underappreciated 90s film. I am going to guess the book you are most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, I'm I'm asking a question. Sure. Is this the final issue of War of the Kings War Scrolls? No, because it's the last issue of War of the Realms War Scrolls. You know what I meant. I know what you mean. No, yeah, it's the last issue. That's what I think you're most looking forward to coming out this week. It is not what I'm looking forward to most coming out this week. All right. It is Batman 73 because we're leading up to the thing that is going to change Batman forever, Joe, and is not changed at all because he's doing Batman Catwoman for 12 issues. And we didn't talk about that that much, that there was that teaser image that came out that shows the Phantasm from the animated movie Mask of the Phantasm. That yes. I guess that is somehow going to tie into whatever Tom King is doing. Right. Which you can add to the pile of Birthright and Emperor Joker as things I've never seen or read. Gotcha. I need to see that before the comic comes out, though. Uh, you got six months. <sighs> okay. So is it my turn now? It is. Is the book you are looking forward to most also Batman 73? It is also Batman 73 for the same reasons that you mentioned. This is supposed to be the beginning of the thing that Tom King has been plotting since issue one of Batman that is going to change Batman forever, but hopefully not forever. Right, because Batman Forever was a terrible movie. Mm. Hmm. It was. It was a terrible. It was no Batman and Robin. And Batman and Robin is no The Spirit, but those are some really bad movies. <laughs> I don't want to fall too far down a rabbit hole discussing these things. Well, it's and our I show. Don't, it is the show, but we have TV shows to talk about. We have a bunch of other things to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly can make an argument for the first Tim Burton Batman movie being a good movie. That is. I love the first Tim Burton movie. I can make an argument for Batman Returns being a good movie. Batman Returns is an okay movie. Okay. It's Tim Burton and his love of circuses. <laughs> and freak show stuff. And... It's love of circuses. And Danny DeVito. And that's every... Not that these are bad things, but, you know, it's an okay movie. Okay. I can almost make an argument... No. ...that Batman Forever is better than... Give it credit for. You can't even seriously state the sentence you're trying to state. So stop it. I think... You know how there exists the cut of episode one of Phantom Menace out there where they cut all the Jar Jar stuff out and a lot of the political stuff out? And it's like an hour 40 movie and it moves along in a nice clip. If you had said Highlander 2, the Renegade cut, I'd understand what you were talking about. No. And then there's also a cut, and I know I've mentioned this on the show before, that a friend of mine went to go see Attack of the Clones in IMAX. Right. And this is back in the day before digital whatevers, and they actually had film on platters. Mm-hmm. 
And at the time, at an IMAX thing, their reels, their platters, or whatever they use, could only fit up to whatever would be the consistency of two hours of a movie. Okay. So, Lucas, so he can get his movie played in IMAX, made a special here-never-to-be-born-cut of his film so that would be under that two-hour running time so he could have it play in IMAX. Up to that point, 2002, only, like, nature movies and, like, (laughs) historical things were shown in IMAX. So that Lucas could say his movie, Attack of the Clones, was the first, like, theatrical movie to play in IMAX so he could have that thing to hang his hat on. He cut 25 minutes out of Attack of the Clones. Friend of mine goes to see it in IMAX, loves it, talks about how great it is. And I'm like, what about this scene? And this scene seemed out of place. And what about all that love story stuff? He goes, yeah, none of that was in the version I saw. (laughs) So (laughs) Lucas knew what the bad stuff in Attack of the Clones was and cut it all out. Other people cut the, the, whatchamacallit, the Jar Jar stuff and the political stuff out of episode one and made a halfway decent movie. I think if you cut the Tommy Lee Jones stuff out of Batman Forever, you have a good movie. And if you cut the Riddler stuff out, and you cut the Batman stuff out, and you cut everything else out, you have a pretty decent movie. You're just a Chase Meridian fan? Oh, I'm a huge Chase Meridian fan. Right. And then, as for Batman and Robin, Todd, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a movie I've seen more times than The Matrix. Oh my goodness. Because one is more than zero. (laughs) One is more than a half. More well, actually, I've seen ba- I've actually seen Batman and Robin several times. Okay, an argument can be made if you say that it spins out of the Adam West Burt nope. Ward Batman. Nope. That it's a good Batman movie. Nope. But after that, okay. Now defend the spirit. I've never seen the spirit. I hear the spirit is terrible. It is terrible. Right. I only went to see that movie because of Ava Mendez. Oh. Menendez, Mendez, I don't remember. But I hear because they gave, they decided to give a uh, writer or an or like a director's guild credit to Frank Miller for Sin City, mm-hmm. and because he may or may not have shadow directed RoboCop three, right? They decided like, hey, let's have him have free reign over this, mm-hmm. and it turned out as well as you expected. Of course, it did. So. Movie talk out of the way here. Longboxheroes.com is where you can find everything that Todd and I have done in the past, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, past uh, things that we've done together, including the 2017 smash sensation Todd and Joe Have Issues. You can also click on a little store thing there, and you can purchase shirts or stickers or pins with our fancy logo on them, but if you want more than just your fancy logo, maybe you want something with at odds with wrestling, maybe you want something with soon to be named network, or maybe you want a slightly different variation of our logo, you can go to our T Public store and buy shirts and hats and pins and everything else that they can print stuff on uh, from there. But also, other ways that you can help us out, we have a Patreon. For as little as five bucks a month, you can get early access to Longbox Heroes After Dark. For a buck, you get old shows that Todd and I did. Some 10-plus years ago, it's interesting, it's a time capsule, It'll, it's a way to help us out. That's but a capsule. Of, right, but of course, the way that you can always help us out is our Amazon link across the top of the page does not cost you an extra cent more, but they do take some of those extra cents that they have for advertising fees and give them to us. 
you know, the people that introduced you to Amazon, <laughs> here are unknown to you, the listeners of this podcast. Uh, we have been having a bunch of Amazon purchases, and sadly one return, but I can't figure out what was returned. That chart is a little bit more difficult to read. Uh, oh. We had people purchasing some comic books, uh, the Daredevil Epic Collection Root of Evil, the Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection Venom, and the Fantastic Four Epic Collection The New Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that that was the same person who purchased all of those things. Uh, Blu-rays, people purchased the Lego Movie Part 2, Venom, and the Mortal Engines through our link this past week. Also purchased was a Disney Pandora Mary Poppins silhouette charm. I'm not really sure what that was. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> and so if only they did a Yondu version of it and pawned <laughs> it off as a Mary Poppins thing. Oh, I would buy ten. Uh, and somebody also purchased a Trap Pro humane rat cage trap for rats, mice, chipmunks, and other similar-sized rodents. <laughs> and it's not a Chapo Tarpo house or whatever it is, but I do have it on good authority from the per- person who purchased that trap. If they are able to catch the rat that is infesting their home, they will take a picture of it and Photoshop our uh, shirt onto the rat. See, I thought Charpo was the lost Mark's brother. No, he did it for, no, that was Chico. He did it for the money. Oh, okay. So, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? Uh, I had an art attack this week, Joe. All right. Uh, I picked up a Tony DiZaniga, uh Jonah Hex uh, sketch that was drawn for, like, probably for somebody else. Uh, obviously, it wasn't mine first, so it had to be for somebody else. But since he's passed away, um, I ended up seeing it on eBay, and I was like, ah, do I want that? And then I saw the price, and I was like, yes. it's. Uh, I have one already, but it's only a pencil. This one had uh, pencils and inks and had a nice little background with uh like a like an old west town and he's smoking a cigarette and i was like you know what i think i'll buy this the only small flaw is that somebody was eating uh spaghettios over the bottom right hand corner oh no and uh no it wasn't me there's a little stain and uh i don't know i don't mind it but uh somebody told me that there's there's people out there who said that they can get like a stain out of artwork but it entails bleach so i'm like i don't think i'm gonna try that so but I'm very glad I, I picked it up, even though it was shipped in the flimsiest container in the history of shipping art. But it managed to survive, thank God. Luckily, well, again, you could ship things poorly and unsecurely as long as you write on the package, do not bend. That's right. The postman code. They cannot bend it. It's against the law. And they won't. They have to adhere to that, Joe. Well, my foot's not really bending it when I stomp on this item. That's right. It's the gravity itself of the shoe. That's right. I'm going to swing my arms like this. <laughs> That's right. And if your package happens to get in the way, it's your package's <laughs> fault. That's right. Don't hit me in the package, Joe. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, if you are going to a convention, you yourself are a burgeoning artist, or maybe, you know, you don't even have to go to a convention. Just like Todd, you could purchase stuff late at night <laughs> online and Regret it until it comes in the mail, and then it's not bent, but still has somehow SpaghettiOs on it. Right. If you get something, tweet at us. Make sure to tag Todd's Art Attack, and we'll be share, sure to share your cool art with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. All right, so that concludes the 
main portion of the show. Let's get into TV talk, but before we do, of course, we will bid some folks adieu. Maybe you uh, are not watching Swamp Thing, or maybe you are not watching Krypton, or perhaps you are not up to date on Good Omens. So, Todd, I ask you, how many times have you watched Good Omens front to back? Um, I'm on my second go-around of episode three. Okay. Okay, so you watch it one time straight through, and then as we're doing the shows here. Right, to refresh my memory. So, you know what I mean? Gotcha. Because I do dislike watching a whole show, and then if you've only seen one episode, I'm like, and then this happened, and then that happened, and you're like, no, I haven't seen that yet. And I'm like, okay, so if, and it freshens me up. And you know what, Joe? I don't mind doing it, because I really enjoyed this miniseries. So. <laughs> right, so we're talking about Good Omen, so let's talk about it here. Uh, this episode's main story crux is the relationship and friendship between Crowley and Aziraphale. Right. Uh, we get to see how Crowley changes his name from Crawley to Crowley. Yeah, it's, you know, it's too literal that Crowley. We get to see some of uh, Aziraphale's naivete oh, go sh- as he's become more and more of a cultured person over these last 6,000 years, but... Still retain some of that naivete charm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like that. I thought that, and I think, you know, we get all of that, and then the opening credits roll, what, like 23 minutes into the episode? Let me just say, because I have it written down, and it's <laughs> something that people have have discussed. It is a 23-minute cold opening, <laughs> which is fantastic. And of all of Good Omens, it is by far probably my favorite bit because it's just a solid 23 minutes of Crowley and Aziraphale. And we see their whole relationship bur- burgeon. It's like, it's like, Hey, here's in the beginning. And like, it goes a little further and they're questioning everything with Noah's Ark. You cut, you cut a little further and they're in Rome. And that's the first time they go out to dinner together. They go a little further and they, the, the, the seeds of the arrangement begin because they figure out that they're just, they're just uh, equaling each other out. And now at some point they're like, oh, if they have to go both go to the same town, they're like, why should we both go? You go do and and tell this guy to do this and do that. And we'll all keep it a secret. And it's absolute, it's absolute genius. Um, and as it goes on, uh, Aziraphale, or uh, not Aziraphale, Crowley decides uh, in England that he asks Aziraphale, for holy water because he's worried if this whole plan goes sideways they're gonna come after him and he wants an out and that i just want to talk about joe how much should david Tennant play the shade if they do a starman movie in that scene and like the glasses and the, the black outfit and the big stovetop pipe hat yes i was watching i'm like i just want a, a david Tennant as as the shade this is absolutely perfect uh well, yeah. forget the Stargirl show, which, mm-hmm. you know, you need to have the, you need to have the legacy stuff in there, and I'm sure they can get David Tennant for at least one episode, you think? I think so, too. Uh-huh. But yes, uh, that first bit, of course, to establish, and I like that it came in the middle, uh, a normal TV show, and I say a normal TV show, that would have been your opening. Right. That would have been your first bit, but we get to see a little bit of the relationship of where it is over these previous two episodes. Now, at episode three, you're going to watch how this uh, relationship built. 
right, how it evolved. And literally there's like jokes in the first episode where Aziraphale says, you know what? Uh, let me take you out to dinner and we'll discuss this. I owe you a dinner for night, uh, for se- uh, for 1793. And they show how they went to dinner during the, 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 the revolution in France. Right. And, and stuff like that. And I do like that they cut to the sixties in London and, uh, Crowley's trying to do a, uh, a heist of holy water and these people don't know. And one of the guys on his, you know, Ocean's Eleven team is a young Shadwell, the witch finder, the old Scotman. And this is where he lays down. He's like, maybe I have a group of people who can, who can help you. And we find out that in present time that Crowley is funding the witch finders, but Shadwell is duping him with fake ledgers of all these people that he tells he has on the books, but it's, it's not, they're all fake people. And he ran out of names. So it was like, it was like witch finder milk bottle and witch finder cabinet and everything. But I, I found that amusing. And then we find out that not only is Shadwell the one-man group for Crowley, but he's the one-man group for Aziraphale, too. So both of their men are the same guy, which I found hysterical. Right. And I love how the pieces of this are all coming together. And, of course, you know, we have the stuff with uh, Anthema, the witch, finding out that she lost the book, not trying to find the book, and developing a friendship with Adam, the little boy, Mm-hmm. who is destined to be the bringer of end times. Right. And she's feeding him like, like all those like inquire type stories of like, uh, like uh, that the Tibetan uh, people are listening to us in tunnels underneath the cities and then real stuff like how uh, nuclear plants are poisoning everything. And she ends up giving him these magazines that he like starts tearing through that are all these weird conspiracy theories and some true stuff, which are starting to maybe He's starting to affect while with his burgeoning powers, if you will. Right, because isn't it in his sleep he essentially makes a nuclear reactor core just disappear and be replaced by a sherbet drop? Yes, he does, because he was reading the magazine that said uh, that, uh, can we be uh, a, a nuclearless world? And that ends up happening because subconsciously he makes it happen. Is that what we're guessing? You know what I mean? At this point. So I really like the show. I agree. I, I, I'm enjoying it too. So that's why I'm, I'm re I'm watching it again and having a blast. Yeah. And I think Aziraphale, like I said, is the breakout character for me when I thought it was going to be Crowley every time his, like you said, his naivete is fantastic. And one last thing, when it comes to the end of the episode and Crowley uh, and Aziraphale meet to discuss like what they're going to do because it, he, they think it's all going to happen. And Crowley wants to run away, and you could see like the strain on their friendship, even though they're saying they're not friends and everything. And there's almost a weird like I, I swear it doesn't happen in the book as much, like a weird lover thing. You know what I mean? Like run away with me. And he's like, there's nowhere to go. He's like, there's always somewhere to go in the universe. And I like the the, the team of, up of them, and I hope everything turns out okay, Joe. I really do. But we have oh, Todd, more. I have a feeling you know what happens since you've read the book and watched the show once already, but we yes. shall see. Okay. So let's move on to Krypton, uh, returning from their break. Uh, everything picks up six months after the events of the previous season finale. Zod 
from our time has gone to the past alongside his mother, who is still young, has taken over Krypton and is now looking for Doomsday while this is going on. Both Seg and Brainiac are trapped in the Phantom Zone and no one knows they're there. While Adam Strange meets up with the Resistance, which is the rest of the people toward the end, uh, Clark's great-great-grandfather, uh, Nisavex, all of those folks are like part of the underground now, but unfortunately Zod roots them all out, Adam Strange gets away, finds Seg, but not before someone else finds them. Right. Um, but uh, Val L, who is, I think... Uh, Seg's grandfather and then Clark's great 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 grandfather. They know that he's in the the Phantom Zone because he was trying to rebuild a projector to get him out. Right, right. And uh, the thing that I like is the Nisa Vex goes looking for her father to get the information of her cloning. And my favorite scene is him in the like in the tunnels scrubbing the walls and breathing the the air that's obviously bad for him. And she goes to find him, but it was all a trap by the Zods. And I was actually shocked about how they took out, uh, Nisavex's father. Oh, and there yeah, was a grab two heads just exploding in this episode. Yes. I was like, boy, Oh boy. Uh, I thought that was cool. And then you said the other head exploding was they cut to a shot of like, uh, Seg talking with Brainiac on Brainiac's homeworld after they get out of the, the, the phantom zone. And he's like, I'm I can control you this and that uh, we're going to work together to get off this planet. And Seg goes, I know you're going to turn on me. So we might as well start this right now. We cut away, we come back and he's busted open Brainiac's head like a melon. And I'm like, interesting. Like they're not, you know, shying away for some graphic stuff in this, but all in all, and I, I, I will get to, like you said, the ending um, all in all, I'm really liking Krypton like because it's, you know, there's, you know, people saying curses and stuff like that and violence, but it's not Superman. So I will let it all slide, the violence and the, the, the profanity, because this is the world that he came from that he doesn't know. So I don't know if that makes any sense. Like if, if Superman was running around doing all this, I would have a problem. But because it's his grandfather, I'm completely cool with it. I hear people relating Krypton to Gotham, the TV show. Mm-hmm. And I get why they do, and having never seen any of Gotham, I, I feel as though Gotham changes too much about the Batman mythos right, to serve its own purpose, where at least so far, they're creating a lot of new backstory, which effectively doesn't mean anything at the end of the day, but at least it's very entertaining. But the stuff that means something that they're putting in there is just whole cloth, like, Brainiac is a dude who's stealing this bottle city of Candor and all these other things, and he looks Brainiac-ish. Doomsday right. is a Kryptonian experiment that went wrong. You know, General Zod is General Zod. So those bits of the Superman mythos, they're taking and putting into this whole cloth. I agree. And because there have been stories about uh, Seg in the past, like... Uh, a Clark's grandfather and, and, and the family and stuff like that. If they changed it, would we even know? Are we that big of a Superman fan 
to know, like, I know, like you said, I know Candor is a city. I know Candor is a city that gets taken by Brainiac, but I don't know Seg's story. Right. I've only seen him in one or two stories that I've read. One of the big ones is the vision of uh, uh, the man for the man who has everything by Alan Moore. We see a version of him, but I don't know if that's canon or whatever. So you change whatever you want on Krypton. But leave the stuff that we know, and that's the thing with Gotham. Everybody knows Gotham's background and the background of those characters. That's Batman and the villains, and right. it doesn't make any sense to them. You know, like and when you start everything. mucking with that and changing the timelines and aging people up and aging people down mm-hmm. and changing people's names and you know doing all these red herrings of stuff. Uh, you know, I, I think that's what turns a lot of people off about Gotham. And, like, Gotham has gone so far off the deep end, from what I understand, of just being, like, this wacky, over-the-top show that, at this point, it doesn't matter how far removed it is from Batman. Where, as if tomorrow, and when I say tomorrow, like, the season finale of Krypton is just all of a sudden it's Superman and everything's just Superman as we know Superman, it wouldn't be that far of a stretch. Right. I totally agree. So the big thing that happened here was what they had teased was going to appear in season two, which is Lobo. Right. And not Sheriff Lobo, but Lobo Lobo. These are adventures of Lobo, not the misadventures of Lobo. Right. Um, I liked Adam Adam Strange saying when he says, come with me, he goes, oh, are we going over there with the rest of the Kiss Army? That was a good line. (laughs) Yes. I enjoyed that very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put Lobo over as a threat very, very quickly into this, mm-hmm. but he looks too little for me. You want the, you want the gas to the gills? Yeah, I want my, listen, I've seen Lobo when he appeared in that Legion book and I saw what Lobo looked like in 1991. Look at the <laughs> thighs, the trunk. Mmm. <laughs> right. I look at it as I get what you're saying, but you don't see a lot of like muscle heads that can act really well. So I do like the fact like that that he's that he's a funny Lobo who's like you know all he's he's all about himself. But the fact that like he just ties the chain around their feet and walks off nonchalantly, dragging them behind him, the way like me or you would be huffing and puffing like sliding on our feet trying to get the bodies to move so i'm like uh i want to see how strong he is because of the fact like he goes toe-to-toe with superman on his best day um i i I just have this weird feeling that maybe they've depowered him a little bit if you know what i mean so i want to see all about that but the depiction of lobo i'm completely fine with the way he acts and haven't they already announced that they're going to do a spin-off of lobo already I think they have, but I'm not 100% sure. And I will watch the heck out of Lobo even faster than Krypton. Oh, certainly. Because because there's no way. And then when he shows up at JLI and everything will be great because it's got to be just like the comic, Joe. (laughs) Well, I don't know what the licensing works with the CW, but if you wanted to, if Lobo goes to pilot and doesn't get picked up, Maybe they can just add him to the Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, my God. Can you imagine bringing Lobo over to Legends of Tomorrow with Constantine hanging out? Oh, it'd be great. That's like the dumping ground. It's like, oh, uh, Constantine? Yeah, Constantine's on another network and his show get canceled. Put him in Legends of Tomorrow. Mm Mm-hmm. That's just going to be everybody. That's going to – we need Seg L on Legends of Tomorrow. Maybe Swamp Thing can go over there now that they're not making anymore. Right, not canceled. Right. So, last but not least, of course, is Swamp Thing. 
Uh, continuing, uh, I guess, the plot threads, Abby finds out that it is Alec. Uh, and there's, I guess the main thing in this episode was Abby, because of her discussions with Alec as the Swamp Thing, she figures out a way, maybe not to cure the virus, but at least to halt the virus. I think she ends up fixing it. Well, I don't know if she's fixed it per se, because she, like, uh, her partner, that guy that she came there with. Right. uh, And again, whose name escapes me, so I do apologize. He's a minor character. I don't even know if he's really in the comic. So he gets infected, and there's that scene that I hate in movies and TV shows and any sort of, like, visual media where she's talking to him. It's like, oh, Bill, I'm going to come into this room, and you're going to be sitting perfectly still in an unnatural way away from me, the camera, with and not move, and I'm going to continue talking, and you're not going to have any reaction to whatever horrible thing has happened to you until I come over and touch you. Until I spin the chair camera side. Right. It was Well, it was even one of those things where it was like she comes over and puts her hand on the chair to do the slight turn, and then he's like, I'm a freak. There's so he, he gets infected, mm-hmm. and she tests out. And again, I, I don't know for sure if it's the cure yet, but it's definitely, like, it's the first step that they've had to a cure. Right. So that's a main thing, and the guy that Swamp Thing exploded in the last episode gets infected by bugs. It's almost like he's rotting or something. Uh-huh. It's like he's almost like an unman of some kind. <laughs> right. So he goes around killing people as well. He's going around looking for the Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing gets him, and then Swamp Thing uses his, I guess, connection to the Parliament of Trees, Mother Earth, Whatever we're going to be calling it in this show. The green. The green, yes. Uh, and he tells them just to let him go, and then they just melt into a pile of goo. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. Right. And then uh, while that's going on, we find out that uh, Avery Sutherland has been funneling funds from, I, I don't know if it was the mayor, but he was definitely in charge of the town and the bank and everything like that. And the guy's like, I'm not doing it anymore. It's, we're going to get found out. And he, Avery kind of gets, gets mad at him, uh, goes to the wife, which is a great scene. Cause I really like Avery and as a, Avery as a sleazy villain, because like the, the, the wife, I think her name is Maria has been having visions of the daughter who has died, uh, younger with somehow with Abby. Uh, and, as it's going on, he's like, oh, well, you know what? She's been having problems. So he goes to the room that she's sleeping in, the daughter's room that's been preserved. And he's like, hey, I'm I'm here because, you know, if you won't come to my bed, I'll come to your bed and we'll talk. And I've been really wrong. And I see how this has affected you, Abby, coming back. And, and he's all nice. And you're like, oh, he loves his wife. And then he's like, oh, by the way, I need some cash. She's like, that's what this is all about. You're not getting any more of my family's money. And you're like, dirtbag, dirtbag, dirtbag goes over to the banker's house and he refuses him and he just beats him to death with a golf club. And I'm like, okay, this is really cool. Cause Avery's the bad guy. The, the, the newspaper girl who's Abby's friend shows up and she's not, he's doesn't answer the door and Avery sees her totally getting Avery's totally getting ready to serve, save, serve up that reporter to the cops. Like it's like, Oh, you were here. I'm going to make sure you're the one who gets looked at for, for killing him. He's all ready for her to take the fall. I love Avery as a bad guy. 
Right. And I remember the first episode, we're like, no, I don't know if he's the bad guy. Maybe he's a red herring. And now here we are, episode three, and he's like the mustaches, <laughs> mustachiest, twirlingest villain of all. Right. And also we have Madame Xanadu talking to Blue Devil, Joe. Man, I was hoping we'd get Blue Devil, but I don't think we're going to get full-on Blue Devil at all in this series. You don't think so? No, because he was going to be turned into Blue Devil in episode 11. So I know you told me that that's Ian Ziering. Right. And I know IMDb tells me that's Ian Ziering. Right. But Ian Ziering is looking really good these days. Like, he doesn't look like Steve from 90210 anymore. Mm-hmm. obviously, because that was 30 years ago. But for a, a, an older man, he looks really good. Listen, Joe, fighting Sharknadoes is the, is, works the core. <laughs> That's all mm-hmm. I'm going to say. But he, he probably had to get into shape for this, this role because they're like, you know what? Like, before this is all over, you're going to be Blue Devil. There was rumors of like you know having like several seasons of Swamp Thing and then Justice League Dark. So they probably couldn't have like you know schlumpy sh- Ian Ziering just doing uh, Blue Devil. So he looks pretty good. And Sharknadoes will will do that to you. <laughs> but I'm still enjoying uh, Swamp Thing very much. They're doing a nice slow build of all these other stories. You've got like five different irons in the fire. We didn't even mention the Jason Woodruff stuff Mm -hmm. where it seems as though his wife is sick or dying and it's unclear if he's facilitating that or if it's uh, because I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt just like (laughs) I gave Avery the benefit of the doubt. Is he facilitating that or is he very concerned and he's going to be like the tragic villain of the whole thing where he's doing all of this work because he wanted to save his wife or is he purposely not giving his wife the medication she needs so that she could be sick so that he has a test subject to work all this stuff on? We don't know 100% sure yet. I bet you a lot of people would go for the latter, but I'd like to think it was the former, but we shall see. I don't know. Floronic man seems like a pretty good, nice man to me. <laughs> a little weird, a little quirky. I do like him as a character. Yes. Not saying I'd like to hang out with him, but there's something about the the jerk who says what he wants, like, and but he's actually smart. He's not like the musclehead. And I'm like, it, it's kind of cool. But like Avery, in the, like an episode ago, he's like, you better not mess this up, or we're all going down. You know what I mean? Like, right. like so. I I don't. I I like him. Give me my Floronic Man and Lobo appearance in the big Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, crossover with the CW shows, and I'll be a happy camper. That would be fantastic. (laughs) I would like to see Matt Ryan show up as John Constantine in episode 11. Oh, wait, 10 at least. He could be the Nick Fury of the DC television universe. Oh, my God. He just goes everywhere. Uh Uh-huh. I could see him on Krypton. And be like, hey, Lobo, you need a light? (laughs) I smoke, too. I'm on basic cable and I smoke. That's right. I'm on USA occasionally and then (laughs) sci-fi. Because the first episode was on USA, I guess. Oh, it was? I thought it was on NBC for some reason. I don't know, because I T-vote it. So as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, I'm watching. I'm watching Krypton, Krypton, Krypton. I look down in the left-hand corner, I'm like, it says USA. Well, hmm. 
like, okay. And then I think they said like from here on out on, and it was on a Friday, which was a, a special airing. Cause oh. I watched it a couple of days later and then it's Wednesdays now for Krypton on sci-fi. Okay. So I don't know. I don't understand. That's what happens when you use these newfangled recording machines, Joe. Right. Cause I grabbed it, you know, Wednesday off sci-fi. Oh, okay. Maybe it was like an encore performance, as you mentioned, or a special presentation, because NBC Universal owns both USA and SIFI. Exactly. It's like Disney owns like uh, ABC, ESPN, and so there, there's a lot of shows that like they're oh, we'll move it over here while the Olympics is on. Yeah, a lot of that nonsense. Mm-hmm. That's why I hate the Olympics and all that. You know. Doing doing sports for your country. I just want to watch my TV shows. It's an odd numbered year. There's no Olympics this year, right? Uh, right. I don't think they. I know they do it every two. I think they don't do the winter and the regular Olympics at the same time. I think no. They it's like, like every. It's like two years winter, two years summer. Right. So they'll go two years winter, winter, then two years do the summer, and then back again. Something. Right. Like gotcha. I'm glad we could tell all the listeners of the Olympic schedule so now they know. Right. We're unsure of it as well. That's right. We just know it's not this year. That's right. It's never an odd year. Right. Well, they should mix it up and make it an odd year. Throw people off their game. Right. Surprise Olympics. (laughs) Just like, bam, you're bull vaulting. Get out there. Build an Olympic village overnight. I'm sure it'll be better than the ones they actually have built in the past. Right. And then, but if you do it in China, they won't have time to shut the, all the factories down for a year to clean the air. Oh my goodness. All right. So I think that covers all the TV stuff and I think that covers the show, eh? That's right. I think then that's all the Olympic talk you're going to need for the year. So we're good to go. All right, everyone. So thank you very much for listening to episode 455 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Hoo!